Greetings, passengers of the Brace in Place podcast, a podcast all about the TV show Snowpiercer. As always, I will be your conductor slash host, Hillary. Be advised that this podcast does contain spoilers, so use caution as needed. Themes of suicide and sexual coercion may also be discussed, so care for yourself while listening. In today's episode, I will review Season 2, Episode 5, titled Keep Hope Alive. We will discuss our theories, unanswered questions, and predictions. As always, I will end with the segment, What Random, Burning, Completely Irrelevant Question About the Train Has Hillary Asked This Week? But first, brace in place for our official entry into this week's episode. All right. Hello, everybody. This is your host, Hillary. Thank you for joining me to discuss this week's episode of Snowpiercer. Um, It's Friday afternoon when I'm recording this and going to hope to get it up today um, up on iTunes and Spreaker. I apologize. I do try to record on Tuesdays, but I was out of town this week um, and last week and just I'm kind of playing catch up. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on in this episode and some things that I really wanted to research and look into a bit further and the week just got away from me. So there might be some parts of this that I skim over that maybe in future episodes we return to when I've had a little bit more time to to do some research. So forgive me. Um, it's just been a wild week over here in Illinois. Um, feel free to find the Facebook group where you can join us and have some discussions about the show. Just search in Facebook for Brace in Place podcast and it should pop right up. You can also leave a review on iTunes, uh, Apple podcast. Um, some of you guys have been uh, leaving your star reviews without um, a narrative. And that is, that's awesome. I love that. If you do decide to type something out, um, I'll probably read it on air, even if it's bad. So just kind of be prepared for that, because I think it's a cool way to connect with you listeners out there. So Uh, feel free to leave a review if you feel so inclined. So let's dive right into this episode, because like I said, my goodness, there was a lot going on here. So we start, let's start this episode with our recap about what happened um, on Snowpiercer. This episode starts with Josie. You see Josie, who is over on Big Alice, getting her uh, skin treatments for her severe frostbite that she got when Melanie tried to kill her. And you see Josie is, she's all wrapped up in her band. She's still healing. She's still very, you can tell, very much in pain and uncomfortable. But she is still doing the work for Snowpiercer. She is still part of the revolution and the resistance. She's sneaking these little vials uh, with messages back to Snowpiercer. Um, It seemed like at first maybe these messages were about Oily Bob screaming. Um, She just, you know, she kind of looked over at him being... uh, assisted slash tortured by the doctors, not really sure which. Um, But then you see the actual message that she sends over to Snowpiercer, and it says, cold man preparing, Wilford making a move. So you automatically know from the get-go, right out of the gate, this episode is going to be a doozy. Then you see Alex over on Big Alice, and she's complaining about how uh, Wilford has not stopped playing Audrey since they had their little visit. And later on in the episode, she calls it torture, which made me feel a little bad for Audrey. I know I kind of, you know, last episode wanted some other options for musical um, entertainment, but she does have a very pleasant voice, but maybe you would get kind of sick of hearing it all day and all night. Um, So you kind of sense a little, maybe a little jealousy, but just some, just some yucky feelings from Alex about Audrey. 
Then we find out that um, Wilford hosts a book club over on Big Alice, which was interesting. And you kind of wonder how how do they have these multiple copies of all these books? How did they choose? Where are they stored? I, I have some questions about that, that I would wonder how that works. But they're reading the book, Rebecca, and they decide to um, they meet over in Wilford's area. And they're having a book club talking about the book, talking about different characters. And Sykes comes in, um, who's kind of a... I don't know if she's on like a hospitality type situation, but on Big Alice or if she's just kind of a messenger type person. I'm not totally sure. But Sykes comes in and says, our friend up train lit a lantern. We are good to go. So she pulls Wilford out of his book club so that she can tell him that. So again, not sure what that means. Um, We and still even after watching the whole episode three times, might I say, still not totally sure how all of these pieces fall together. But then we find out Wilford wants to see Audrey. He sends her uh, an uh, invite that says, please come over to Big Alice. And she says, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go over there. Then you see everybody. um, I think Ruth was up there, Ben, Javi, um, and Audrey, of course, are up front in the, the engine part of, um, of Snowpiercer. And Ben shows her, Hey, we have this little um, electronic, I don't know, this little box um, that has these plugs. And it it was messed up on Big Alice. But by the time Snowpiercer got up and running, we fixed it. But if you switch these wires over on Big Alice, it makes it so that we can hear everything that is said over on Big Alice. So she's taken all that information in. And when she goes to visit Wilford, she's prepared with the little tool that she needs to open that box so that she can switch those wires or attempt to. Then we see, it goes back to Josie. Josie's over on Big Alice getting some of her treatment for her um, frostbite, and she has a panic attack. She is starting to freak out um, for a million reasons. I mean, my goodness, from the pain, from being, um, from almost just dying, from knowing that she's got all this pressure on her to find out information about Big Alice. Um, you know, Icy Bob is over there. She doesn't really know what his deal is. Is he nice? Is he not nice? Um, so she starts really freaking out and she starts having a panic attack. And then Icy Bob comes over and helps her with, might I add, as a therapist, a very good grounding technique to find five things in the room that are red. Um, you could pick any color that you want to do that with. Find five blue things, find five white things, whatever it is that you choose. It can be a great grounding technique. And it helps her. It helps kind of pull her out of that panic attack. Um, And I decided at that moment that I think we need to start calling him Nicey Bob because he's maybe got a little bit of a nice streak in him. Uh, I'm excited to find out more about Nicey Bob. um, And maybe I'll take back that uh, nickname if later on he turns out to be a jerk. But for now, he was pretty nice to her. He helped her out, uh, helped her out of that panic attack. Then we see Zara and um, Ruth go to the front of Snowpiercer to make their morning announcements. So this is where they come on and say, good morning, Snowpiercer. It's such and such degrees outside. We're passing through such and such area of the world. Here's our elevation. Here's this and that. Um, Ruth had passed that job off to a a male member of hospitality that I don't think we'd seen before. And she says, you're fired, man. Um, We're going to let Zara take over. Um, And so Zara 
overcome with emotion about this new task throws up in the wastebasket. And this is kind of a bone to pick that I have with television. Um, I threw up a lot in my pregnancies. And by a lot, I mean a lot. Um, My second one, I was hospitalized with a wonderful condition called hyperemesis um, and threw up for months and months and months. There was never just a teeny little one heave and then you're able to switch into doing what you need to do. It's It just kind of irritates me. But anyway, I digress. Um, so Zara barfs very quick, unrealistic barf, if I do have to say so myself. Um, but during her barf, she bumps on the announcement button and has to kind of pull it together and do the announcement. Then I thought she did pretty good. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Zara, but she does have a pretty pleasant voice and she seemed to to do well with that job. So she's taking on a lot of the hospitality uh, jobs and learning from Ruth and just kind of, she's kind of hit the ground running with this. Then we switch to LJ suddenly taking a giant bat or baton or something and going after Pike um, so that he can be, so that Pike can be attacked and knocked unconscious so that then Terrence can yell at him. Um, What was interesting about this scene was how well the actress that plays LJ just played a a complete psychopath. I mean, she just knocked the hell out of Pike and had a look on her face that was just, oh, she was just in heaven. She loved it. And she, I think she even said something super gross, like, did you hear that sound or something like that? Um, And it's just um, super cringy. Um, She's got some real anger issues burn under the surface there. And I kind of wonder about her aggression maybe coming out in later scenes that we'll continue talking about. Then we cut to a a nice pleasant scene between Andre Layton and Zara um, getting their first sonogram. And so the doctor comes in and says, oh, I've been looking forward to this all day because she probably spends all day doing you know, helping take care of the frostbite victims and doing whatever it is that she does. Um, but she gets to help look at a new little baby that um, Zara is pregnant with. So during that scene, um, the two of them seem to kind of bond, Leighton and Zara, and they're excited about their baby. Then we go to Alex, and she um, she talks briefly to Audrey because Audrey has made excuse me Audrey has made her way over to Big Alice. Um, she is excuse me I just knocked the mic. She is um, on Big Alice and ready for her date or whatever you would call it with Wilford. And Wilford's not there; he's in the bathroom or something. So uh, Alex and Audrey are alone, and they had a little moment where Audrey I think tried to kind of connect with her, saying, "Hey, it's just us." women. Um, but Alex was not having it. She, she was asking a lot of questions about their relationship. Do you love him? What's going on? And for, for whatever reason, Alex just was not, not satisfied with the answers that she got. So once Wilford came in and verified, yes, Audrey and I have a strong connection. We've always had this strong connection. Um, Alex kind of bursts between the two of them and runs off in a bit of a huff. Um, so she's, she's just playing the angsty teen so well. Um, and I, it, it was, it was an interesting scene. Um, so many thoughts that I have about what it must feel like to be Alex. She must be so confused. Um, Audrey is coming in and saying, you know, I'm Switzerland. I know you've got these two adult figures in your life that are at odds. You know, you've got Melanie and then Wilford who are 
kind of sworn enemies at this point and probably have been for a long time. And then you've got Audrey who comes in and says, hey, look at Alex. I'm friends with your mom. But then she's there to see Wilford. Um, That would be really confusing. So I'm not surprised that Alex kind of stormed out of there. But I just think that that character development is very interesting. And I look forward to seeing what happens as that progresses. Then they go, then we go up to the engine, um, back up to the engine where uh, Ben and Javi are giving some news to Ruth. Um, and I think Leighton was up there too. And they're all talking about how they actually haven't heard from Melanie in quite a while. They keep sending up these balloons to gather data. And I'm going to totally butcher the science of this because I am not a science person. I am a social worker. Um, so forgive me, science people, if I am dumbing this down to the point of getting it incorrectly. But they, they send these air these weather balloons up into the sky and Melanie kind of triangulates the signal somehow so that they're able to gather even more data so that they can figure out what is the weather going on in the world uh, since the world is apparently warming up now at a faster rate than they thought. What what what's the weather like in the world and where can we um, eventually maybe um, get off of this damn train and start to build a civilization again. Um, so they really need Melanie out there to, to do her little pinging so that they can get that data. And they're saying, we haven't heard from her. We've been sending these balloons up and I can't remember how many um, ones they did hear from her for, but they, they haven't heard from her in a while. They all realize that making these announcements about Melanie making contact is really helping the morale of the train. Um, The kids even like it. The kids are shown uh, making a mural, showing Melanie, you know, kind of conquering a mountain. And they're saying, we love you, Melanie. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you've been doing. And it's, um, you can tell that they, they're really all clinging to this hope um, that maybe Melanie's going to be the one to save us. Maybe she's going to be the one to get us off of this train. So they wonder, what should we do? Should we be honest with the train? Should we be honest with Wilford? You know, that's a hard no. Um, he's going to use that information in some kind of negative way, in some kind of manipulative way, because he, he wants Melanie gone, and he, he thought she would be a goner anyway. So they make the difficult decision to lie. Uh, and Ruth was kind of the one leading that uh, decision, which I just, you know, I love, I love my Ruth. And she's just, I just love these decisions that she's making. I love that they're showcasing her, helping make these decisions. Um, she says, we need, our train needs this hope. And so we're going to lie which she eventually does. She makes an announcement to the train saying we keep hearing from her. Um, They also let Wilford know and he doesn't really care. Um, He's in the middle of his date. So he's like, "Uh, please don't bother me. So they lie. They lie. The next scene that we go to is a kind of weird scene between um, Till and uh, the pastor. Um, he catches her over in the bar and the bre- a couple breachmen came and bought her a drink and she dumps it out because she's still super, super upset about um, the fact that she doesn't have a suspect for Lights's attack. Um, remember, Lights had her fingers uh, cut off into the W signal um, symbol with her fingers, and she still doesn't have any idea who did it. And so she's in the bar, kind of drowning her sorrows, and the pre- breachmen try to buy her a drink, and she dumps it out and it's going to start some trouble and the pastor shows up and kind of gets her out of there in a bit of a dicey moment and then they end up going boxing um he all of a sudden just 
pulls her into a room and pulls out these boxing gloves and then they box and they kind of like beat the crap out of each other and it was a little difficult to watch um but then they end up having a talk afterwards about being hurt and kind of some deep questions about the human condition and things like that at this time the the pastor shares that he's not actually a fan of Leighton. He's not really sure or he's not really convinced that Leighton is the right shepherd. So that kind of perked my ears up a little bit. I'm, I'm growing increasingly suspicious of the pastor and I'm, I'm wondering if some of you guys are feeling the same way. Then we see Audrey over with um, Wilford and there's there's an energy there and I don't know exactly what to call it. It's it's tense, it's um, electric, it's scary. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about that, um, but he, she convinces him to go make her a drink, and while he's off making her a drink, um, she starts fiddling with the box. Um, and she's trying to switch those wires so that then uh, Snowpiercer can listen in onto the engine of Big Alice to see what what kind of things are being said over there. We don't know, really, if she accomplished that. But what we do know is that um, as soon as they walk out of the room, Wilford somehow notices that the the little lock on the box looks different. Um, And so at that point, you kind of see him smile a little bit in his creepy, super creepy way. And you know that he knows, if that makes sense you know that he knows that she was messing around with that thing um, and that she's maybe kind of a part of the resistance. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what's going to happen with him knowing that um, because he's got this quote unquote love. I don't know what you would call it, some kind of connection to her. Um, but he also is incredibly power hungry. So what's he going to do now that he knows his quote unquote love is trying to plot against him? Who knows? Who knows? Then we go, and some things that have been talked about throughout this episode is Leighton and Zara have been talking about Terrence and how he is um, wanting to kind of be involved with the trade that's happening at the border. He wants a bigger cut. Um, He knows that the little girl is coming up there and helping get messages back and forth. He knows that it's Josie on the other side that's giving those messages. Terrence just knows a lot and he's a scary dude. And so it seems like Zara wants him gone. And Leighton is not, it felt to me like he wasn't a, a fan of that at the onset, but eventually he decides, okay, maybe I, maybe she's right. Maybe we do need to get Terrence out of there. So, uh, so Leighton meets with Pike and they have a heart to heart and Leighton says, you know what, you know, we need you to do this. We need you to do this for the resistance, for the revolution, for the train as a whole. And, my heart kind of broke a little bit for Pike because he, he was trying to say, look at man, I, I made a vow. Um, it, it I, we don't know too much about what happened before, um, before the seven year mark, you know, the, the first episode had that little introduction part where it showed everybody fighting to get on the train, but then it kind of cut to seven years later. So we don't know much about what happened in between there, but we do know that there was some, uh, that there was a cannibalism, group on uh, back in the tail. And we find out that Pike was a part of that. And so I, I think at one point they called it a kill cult. And Pike was a part of that. And 
um, I'm remembering that Leighton, I think, went back there and killed some of the kill called people. And then they ate a piece of the heart um, to say, we're never doing this again. And Pike was a part of that. Pike said, you know, I'm only going to kill if I have to. Um, I'm only going to kill in combat, basically. And so Leighton is kind of asking him to break that boundary that he had set for himself. And Pike seems sad about it. He's saying, you know, I wanted to be a better man after the cannibalism was done. And you gave me another chance. So maybe he feels some kind of odd... Um, loyalty to Leighton, um, that he didn't kill him like he killed the other people in the cannibalism cult. So maybe that's why he decided to go ahead and uh, kill Terrence. Spoiler alert. Um, I don't know, but it was it was a very it was a very intense scene, and eventually leads to Pike uh, going up to Terrence's little uh, loft situation, and he tries to do it in a respectful way. He tries to give him a knife, I think was what he was doing there, to say, you you take this knife, I've got my weapon, um, let's, let's fight like men and do this in a dignified way. Um, you're not going to holler for people, you're not going to do this, we're just going to get this done. And it's a shit show fight, to say the least. Um, Terrence just grabs a bottle or something and tries throwing it at him. Pike grabs him and starts stabbing him. You see blood spurting everywhere. Um, Somehow Pike gets Terrence onto the bed, um, kind of straddling him. And he grabs some kind of tool, some kind of contraption and shoves it in his nose, in his mouth, in his mouth, I think it was. Um, And... And all of a sudden you see it, it almost looked like insulation um, or like a spray foam kind of thing. And it fills his mouth. It fills his nose. And that was gross enough for me. But the third time I watched it, I watched it with my husband and he said, oh, look at his eyes. And it was coming out of his eyes, too, um, which I was like, why did you tell me that? Why did you point that out? I didn't need to see that. Is it It's just gross. Um, and so Terrence is dead. Um from insulation being shoved in his mouth. I don't know. I don't know what that was. Um, and, and my husband is much more um, into that kind of stuff. And he didn't even know for sure what it was. So if you if you do have a good idea of what that is, please let me know because we're we're intrigued by this. But for all intents and purposes, it seems that uh, Terrence is dead due to whatever happened to him. Then we skip back over to Josie. And she needs to be um, sedated for a procedure that she's going to have on her leg by the doctors. And she doesn't want to be put under, I'm guessing, because she wants to stay awake to hear if the doctors give any inside information about Wilford and about what's going on over at Big Alice. So she uh, basically cheeks her meds and spits them out and tucks them under her little bandage to save for later. And so she's awake during, um, during this procedure. And she remembers what... Uh, Nicey Bob told her about uh, how to kind of externalize the pain. So she's going through some of these mindfulness techniques of remembering the red things in the room so that she doesn't uh, kick her leg and notify them basically that she's awake and that she didn't take the medicine. So she's awake while they're doing this procedure on her. And during that time, the doctors um, mention Wilford and the breachman. Um, and Josie finds out at that time that something is happening tonight and we don't really know exactly how the breachmen play a part in it, but it's happening tonight. So Josie then, um, is kind of confronted by nicey Bob later. Um, and he was, he was maybe a little less nicey during this encounter, but he wants the meds from her. And so 
don't know why. Um, is he saving them for himself? Is he using them himself because he's got so much pain because he's had all these skin grafts and whatnot? Is he saving them for some kind of poison attack he's going to use on somebody? Don't know. Um, but Josie decides, all right, I'll give you the meds. Um, she does ask him, are you going to tell on me? And he kind of gives a little a little shake of his head. So I don't think he's going to tell on her. Um, but those two, man, he's a huge, huge guy. And she is a tiny little lady. And to see her standing up looking at him, um, what a difference. What a difference. But Josie, she is just kicking butt as a character over there. I mean, I can't imagine having to deal with all that physical pain and having to think of these ways that you can try to solicit information while still trying to basically save your own life. Cause she, you know, she should absolutely be dead. Then we cut to Audrey and Wilford over on big Alice and he wants her to stay. Um, she's not totally sure. Um, but the, what's happening during this end scene is, um, Josie gets word over to uh, Snowpiercer that something is going to happen tonight and it's going to involve the Breachmen. So, and the Breachmen are kind of the firefighter. They, they look like firefighters, but from what I've, um, the research that I've done is the Breachmen are kind of the first responders um, on the train and they respond to mechanical issues. So a breach. Um, so if something happens with the train in a mechanical way, they're the ones that are there. Um, so they're usually pretty strong, good shape, um, good, you know, people that know what they're doing, um, in a mechanical sense. And so something is going to happen tonight with the breachmen. You think that it, I, I'm guessing Leighton assumed that it meant the breachmen were going to do some kind of attack because Boki, one of the main breachmen has a Wilford tattoo on his chest. He is not ashamed to admit, I love Wilford. He's given me a job for all these years. I am completely devoted to him. So when, when they get that note from Josie, they kind of assume, Oh, the breachmen are going to attack, but here's here's where this show just gets you man it just throws the exact opposite at you the breachmen start getting killed left and right um and it's kind of hard to tell if it's the same person doing all the killing or if there's multiple people but it's somebody in a dark hoodie with their hood up that is killing them in all sorts of different ways there was a strangulation there was stabbing um there's just all sorts of crazy stuff going on and so the show kind of ends with you wondering what the hell just happened? Who did that? Um, are there any breachmen alive? And what what is going to happen to Audrey? Um, because during the attack, uh, Ruth tries to get Audrey back over on Snowpiercer because shit's going down and she wants that border closed. But Audrey's kind of dilly-dallying with making a decision. So then the door just closes. And so she's kind of stuck over there. Interestingly enough, we know that Ruth has also had kind of an infatuation with Wilford. And he says, Ruth, how about you? Do you want to come over? Um, don't know what he was thinking in his pervy mind about what would happen there. But she says, no, I need to stay over here on Snowpiercer. Um, so I, I love that. I think Ruth has a lot going on in her brain. She is thinking, she's thinking, where are my loyalties? And that was such a, a symbolic confrontation of where are your loyalties and what direction do you want to go? And she wanted to stay on Snowpiercer. I loved that. I loved that moment. So that, oh my gosh, take a deep breath. So that is the end of that episode. Woo wee. That was a lot. So we, uh, we haven't had a massacre like that. Um, 
you know, in a while, not in that kind of murderous way. We've had a lot of people die at once, but um, that was that was so intense. And I have so many questions about what happened and still am not totally sure. I think I could probably watch that episode for a fourth time and still have some questions. So here are the questions that I have and some predictions here. Um, this is such a, an unimportant thing, but I wrote it in my notes because people online are having a heyday about uh, Big Alice and Snowpiercer both facing the same way because Snowpiercer is supposed to be at the front. Big Alice is supposed to be kind of on the back attached to the tail. But when you look at um, when they show the engine shots of uh, the engine of Big Alice where um, kind of attached to uh, Mr. Wolford's section and his, you know, high class little uh, train car there, they look like they're going in the same direction. And so people are really throwing a fit about that. But I've had a lot of people um, explain, and I've seen a lot of explanations, that um, that part of Big Alice is kind of up on a second level. Um, so it's able to face the front because um, because it's up on a second level. And so it's not technically the back of Big Alice, if that makes sense. It's like a second level. Um, yeah, I don't know how else to explain it. But people quit complaining about that. It makes sense once you hear that theory. We don't know if that's true or not, but it makes sense to me. Another question that I have is what's going on with Melanie? And I am so excited for this next episode next week because we get to find out about Melanie. It shows her in the preview. She hasn't been, she wasn't in this episode and she wasn't in last episode except for the the one single ping that we heard from her. But in the preview for next week, it shows her, you know, circling a date on a calendar. Here's when Snowpiercer comes back. It shows her walking through the snow in her big, you know, snowsuit. So we get to find out more about what's going on with Melanie next week. And I'm, I'm eager for that because I want to know what's going on with that girl. Is she okay? The biggest question here is, of course, who killed the Breachman? Um, there was a lot of them that died. And what there's just so many, so many different theories, so many different people that could have been involved with this because we don't know who would want to kill people that are allies of Wilford. Um, is this something that Wilford could have done orchestrated himself? Um, even though some, you know, a lot of these breachmen were siding with him. Did he intentionally do this to create some unrest on Snowpiercer so that people quit trusting Leighton? Um, because there's a significant amount of people who trust Leighton, who believe that he's got the train's best interest at heart. But then, you know, a week after he takes, you know, control or whatever, even though he doesn't like that, but he's still seen as a leader, there's a, a giant massacre. Well, that's going to really shake things up. And that's going to really make it seem like he doesn't know what he's doing. So, so who knows if that's a piece going on here? We've also got Osweiler and LJ that are going around attacking people for Terrence and especially LJ really enjoying it. So who knows if she could have played a part in it? Um, she also has an infatuation with Wilford. So I'm, I'm less inclined to think that he had some, that Oz and LJ had something to do with it, but still a possibility because LJ is such a psycho. Um, who knows if Alex had something to do with it. She's starting to get, uh, you know, questioning what she grew up being told about Melanie and about the train and about Wilford. She's really questioning things. Um, it's also really scary now that there's nobody to fix the damn train. Um, all of the people that would fix the train if there's a breach are now dead. Um, and Melanie, 
another person that would know how to fix a lot of issues, maybe less mechanical, more engineering. But, you know, the the train is is kind of in a really vulnerable position right now. And I I wonder if that's going to be part of next episode as well. Um, Also kind of wonder a little bit about Pike. Um, After he killed Terrence, he shaved his head and shaved his beard which looked very nice. I was surprised at what a good looking man he is without all that scruffy hair all over him. Um, But that's kind of a big moment when you decide to shave off all of your hair and all of your beard. So what's going on with Pike? Is he having some kind of mental breakdown where he could have acted out in anger towards Wilford for putting everybody through all of these torturous traumatic last few years? Don't know. Could be. Um, Let's see, who else were we thinking about? The pastor. Oh my gosh, this pastor. Something's going on with the pastor, don't you think? He, while he was talking to Till about how he didn't think that Leighton was the, the right shepherd, um, I, I just got a kind of a weird vibe from him and I've gotten kind of a weird vibe from him. So I don't know. I, I wonder, um, and I think that at one point he had admitted that he was um, an evangelical um religious person. And so, you know, there could be some extremism in there. I don't know. Is it at a point where he would want to massacre a bunch of people? I don't know. Um, But something's going on with that pastor. And I don't think we're at the end of his time, at the end of his timeline with this show either. Some people online were uh, superheroes without capes here and slowed down the Uh, the episode so that they could take a picture of the people that were doing the killing. And it did not look like anybody that I recognized. I could not even tell if it was male, female. Um, I I couldn't even tell anything, Um, but it did, it did because you couldn't see hair. You couldn't, you couldn't really even see much, but from the very minimal part that I could see of the face, it didn't look immediately like somebody that I recognized. So if anybody else has any other information, feel free to join the Facebook group and let me know because I want to know who killed all these breachmen. This is an interesting twist. Another unanswered question we have is the ongoing story of Jinju. Um, we know that Till and Jinju were obviously um, kind of train married. I don't know exactly what the term is, but they had some kind of ceremony. And Till was talking about how many people were left on the train. And at one point she took that number down a notch saying actually a chef died. And, you know, you kind of wonder, is she talking about Jinju? Um, Jinju did some, some chef work, remember her sushi chef time, but that wasn't really her primary position on the train. She was a a scientist. Um, She was, I don't know if it would be a, a botany type of thing, but she, she helped kind of keep everything flowing with, um, the plant life and the sea life and all of that. So, um, it would be kind of weird for her wife to refer to him, to, to refer to her as a profession that she wasn't really, but we're just kind of wondering where's Jinju? Um, is she one that died during the revolution? Um, not sure, not sure. Where's Jinju? Now we've got some predictions. Um, What's going on with LJ and Alex? I predict that they're, I think they're just going to become friends. Um, But if they became more than that, cool, fine, as long as they're good to each other. Um, But LJ is kind of, you know, like we talk about, pretty unstable. So I I feel a little bit of a motherly protection kind of thing coming over Alex. I want to kind of keep her away a little bit, but maybe they'll be a good influence on each other. Don't know. Um, 
obviously it seems that Alex is starting to really think about Wilford and starting to really think about, I need to question what I was told when I grow up. So when I was growing up here on uh, big Alice, so there's going to be some kind of some, some more uh, realizations that uh, Alex has about Wilford and about Melanie. And I think once Melanie hopefully gets back on the train, that development is going to continue. I also predict that, at some point, I think it's going to come out what Wilford did to Kevin, um, that he forced Kevin to commit suicide. And I think that that's going to be uh, one piece of the puzzle with Wilford being exposed for the complete maniac that he is. Um, but I just, I, you know, I wonder with him getting reconnected with uh, Audrey and the fact that he tried to do a similar thing to her. I just think I, I just I feel like we're kind of on the cusp of some of this information and some of this history coming out. You know, it just it seems odd that somebody wouldn't put the pieces together that, oh, yeah, Kevin died from the same way that Audrey almost died from. And, you know, she's talking to more people about what happened to her and da da da. So, um, so something with Kevin, I think, is going to be coming out here soon. But that's just a little baby prediction. Um, the Folgers. I've been talking about the Folgers for the last few, you know, couple episodes. I'm talking like I've been doing this for years. I think this is only like my fifth or sixth episode. But um, I've been holding on hope that that train car full of um, full of uh, the brakeman, Commander Gray, was on there. Um, and the Folgers. I've, I've been holding out hope that that train car is still somewhere um, not completely frozen with full of dead people. Um, there's been some chatter online about the logistics of that, which I, I admit would be kind of questionable. Um, the way that, uh, the way that it's been explained that I've seen online is, um, Snowpiercer was at this position and the big Alice was at this position. And if they released the train cars, you know, and at this location, there, there wouldn't have been enough time. They would have already froze to death. So I get that. If that's the case, I get that. But what if there's some secret people in some kind of bunker somewhere um, that come out and save them? I mean, wouldn't that be an amazing turn? Um, if there's some people in bunkers, because you know that if we know that the end of the world is coming, people are going to be making their bunkers. So Maybe we'll have some bunker people come out. Wouldn't that be interesting? Prediction about Audrey. Um, is Audrey going to die? Is Audrey going to try to kill Wilford? Um, I think Audrey is a strong ass woman and that they are really doing a, a beautiful job developing her character and that she's, she's pissed and she is traumatized and she is driven. So I wonder, and I'm scared for her. Don't get me wrong. I am scared for her, but I think there's going to be some kind of battle between the two of them, some kind of physical altercation and maybe an attempt to kill. I don't think either of them is going to die. I think that they're too, they're both too integral to the story. And I think that they know better than to kill off Sean Bean because poor guy gets killed in every show that he's on. Um, so I don't think he's, I don't think they're going to kill them off, but I just wonder what's going to happen between the two of them. I think there's going to be some kind of fight, but they're both going to live. So looking forward to seeing how that goes. Another little silly prediction that I have that doesn't really have anything to do with anything really, but we know that David Diggs, who plays Andre Layton, is a wonderfully talented 
singer, actor, dancer, rapper. Um, part of the reason that I wanted to watch Snowpiercer is because we're such big Hamilton fans, um, which is something that came about during COVID. Um, I kind of missed the boat with Hamilton years ago and haven't seen it live or anything. Um, but we had a day during COVID where we didn't have anything to do and I'd wanted to see it being a, a musical theater fan my whole life. And my daughter and I watched it. And to say we've become obsessed since then is a, a huge understatement. So we know that this guy can sing. Um, I have been continuously impressed with him in this show. He's getting a lot of hate online and I, I don't get it. Um, people are saying he can't act. I would say for probably every one negative comment he gets, I would say there's probably two or three people saying, absolutely not. He's great. What are you talking about? And so I'm going to be one of those people that is standing up for him and saying, I think he's great. I've had some some kind of daydream moments where I wonder what would it be like if they pulled him up on stage um, if somehow he had like a little karaoke moment um, on Snowpiercer and you know people kind of get sick of hearing Miss Audrey sing and so they say does anybody else have any talent and he kind of gets up there and you know sings something wouldn't that be great I don't think that they'll do that. Um, what I think would be really cool is if he had some kind of little bonding moment with the baby, um, whether that be once the baby's born or the baby still in the womb of Zara and he just sings a little lullaby or something. Wouldn't that be so adorable? Um, so I, I just hope that there's a cute little moment like that um, where we get to see um, Layton's talent and it just will kind of blow everybody away. But he's just going to give us a little taste of that. It's certainly not going to become like a central part of the story or of his character. Um, it's just going to be kind of one of those like, oh, we didn't know you could sing. OK, moving on back to the end of the world kind of thing. Um and also, just so I can continue saying what I believe about the actor that plays Leighton, if if you watch him in Hamilton, and, and forgive me, those are the only two things I've seen him in is um, Snowpiercer and Hamilton. He's he's laughing, he's dancing around the stage, he's in a purple velvet suit and singing and laughing and smiling and just kind of really energetic. And then you see him playing Andre Layton, and my goodness, what a shift. So I just have a lot of respect for him. Um, and I think having that kind of range as an actor is remarkable. So quit the hate on him. Um, people say he can't act. He doesn't have any expressions. Da, 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 da. That's the point. That's the point of his character. Um, that's him playing the character well. He's not that kind of guy. And plus, he's traumatized. If that were a person in real life, that's how they would act. So it's not him just acting like being somebody who can't act. That's him. That's him acting. There you go. That's all I have to say about that. Now we are on to our last final segment here, which is our random burning, completely irrelevant question. I got to take a sip of my root beer before I get going with this. I'm talking about David Diggs got me all worked up. I got to have a drink. So random burning, completely irrelevant question. We have been seeing a lot of Miss Audrey the last couple episodes, which is great. And she always is just looking her best. And it kind of got me thinking this last episode, how would makeup work? Has anybody else wondered about this? There's a lot of people on this show who always look like their makeup is fully on point. And Jennifer Conley has the kind of skin and, and I don't know, complexion, I guess, that she probably wouldn't need very much to look the way that she looks. Um, she's just uh, kind of a, just that kind of beautiful 
person. Um, whereas somebody like me, I, I need some makeup to look my best. Um, and maybe some of these other women on here, you know, the, we just we need we need a little touch up. We need some mascara. We need some lipstick. You look at somebody like Miss Audrey. Her eyelashes have been on point during this whole show, and it just makes me think: how what's the makeup situation? Specifically, the eyelashes. We're, we're, I'm just going to zero in on the eyelashes because I feel like we could probably talk about lipstick, foundation, deodorant. I mean, lots of hygiene things that you know. I'm always thinking about the hygiene, but. It, it just makes me wonder, how are they dealing with that in a real situation where there's a real snow piercer that's been circling the earth for seven years? How is it possible that somebody could still have eyelashes that look that good? Fake eyelashes last about two to three weeks. Um, from what I've found, I've only ever worn the kind that are like costume kind of things, but they make a lot of really good, nice fake eyelashes now. And from what I've heard, those can last two to three weeks. But then you get regular old mascara, and if you don't open it, Google told me that an unopened uh, tube of mascara can last about two to three years. So that means if, if they stockpiled some stuff, it still would have already gone bad. Maybe they're at a point where they don't care. I know I've certainly used expired makeup before, um, even on my eyes, which I know that's like the big no-no not to do because you can get infected. But you know, you just kind of wonder, how did they do it? Did they, did they stockpile some of the stuff and they're just using it expired and not caring? I've, I've always kind of been fascinated with um, Egyptian history and knowing the kinds of things that they would do as a culture uh, so long ago. They, they used to use all sorts of different things to make makeup because um, obviously they couldn't just walk down to CVS and get some uh, Maybelline. So they used flowers. They used plants. They used beeswax and crushed ants to make makeup and something that they did in the Egyptian culture they they were very focused on eyes um, which obviously that's what I'm talking about today so the eyes if they, they felt if they didn't have eye makeup on that they would be vulnerable to the evil eye and that they would be vulnerable to evil spirits kind of infiltrating themselves and their family and their people. So they definitely always wanted to have eye makeup on. They would use, back in Egyptian historical times, they would use something called galena, which is also known as coal, K-O-H-L, which is a mineral. And they would use that for their eye makeup and they would use that as mascara um, sometimes. And they believed if they used that specific mineral, it would um, possibly repel flies and bugs, and that it could also protect the, the skin from the sun. So it wasn't just something that they did for vanity purposes. It was a source of personal power for them. Um, it was important to them as people to use. It wasn't just something, uh, like I said, vanity that they used. So it kind of made me think about, I wonder if there's a deeper meaning to Miss Audrey doing her makeup. Maybe she's just bored. Um, you can only stock the shelves uh, in the night car or practice your dance routine uh, for so long before you get bored. And so maybe she's uh, just doing her makeup to an extreme level because she's bored and she doesn't have anything else to do. Or maybe she's um, finding some deeper power in doing this. And maybe she, you know, is taking a note from the Egyptian playbook that that's kind of helping protect her from some evil spirits. Some people might hear something like that and think that it's kind of silly, but I believe in that stuff. I believe in the spiritual connection. And I believe in these kind of actions that we can do as people, even if it doesn't actually do anything, if it makes you feel better, who cares? Who gives a crap? 
I also found out through researching um, this super important question that you can make your own mascara. The ingredients are coconut oil, aloe vera, uh, aloe vera gel, and beeswax, ironically. Um, You melt these ingredients and store them in the fridge. At some point, you add in some activated charcoal, and that's what gives it that dark color. Um, But it is possible to make your own mascara. Are those ingredients on Snowpiercer? It it sounds like it would be pretty hard to come by, especially the beeswax, you know, they which weirdly enough, they just talked about on this episode um, because Zara and Layton's baby is the size of a blueberry and they both went, aww, just like you should do, aww, little baby blueberry. Um, but then they kind of had a, oh yeah, moment realizing that there's no blueberries um, because there's no bees. Um, but the doctor says, actually, we do have some bees that are starting to grow. Um, maybe, maybe there will be blueberries by the time your baby's born. So maybe there would be some beeswax on Snowpiercer and they could use that to help make some mascara. So wrapping things up, feel free to join the Facebook group and let me know what your thoughts are about the makeup situation on Snowpiercer. And if you've ever made your own mascara, Um, I'm a cheap ass Maybelline person myself. I do splurge on some types of makeup. Um, I got to have good foundation. I got to have good concealer, but I am totally fine with the cheap shit when it comes to mascara. Um, I feel like it works just as good. So if somebody has made their own mascara and they, they love that, then feel free to share that on the Facebook group. I'm interested in that. I would love to hear that. So thank you for joining me while talking about this episode of Snowpiercer. And I look forward to hearing from you all and hope that you, uh, Have a good week, and as Pike says, it's a tail thing.